Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone welcome to the tennis.com podcast we have another awesome episode for you i'm one of your hosts nina pantic joined by irena falcone hi irena hey how is it going so our episode this week features steve johnson he has been a top-ranked american for a long time he was a former usc four-time ncaa champion He's awesome. I caught up with him at World Team Tennis like the past few episodes. But before we get into that interview, let's talk U.S. Open. So U.S. Open is coming up real quick in New York City, obviously. But the biggest news is all of the withdrawals. We're missing, I think, one, two, three, five of the top 10 women, as well as a couple of the top 10 men, including Rafa. Irina, are you surprised by the withdrawals? What What is, is all looking to shape up to be for you? Honestly, I'm not really surprised of the withdrawals. I think uh, a lot of girls are, for health reasons, deciding not to come. But a lot of them, I mean, it's hard to just go straight into a slam first tournament back. I mean, there are some players, not a ton, but there's some players in that uh, you know main draw acceptance list that probably haven't played a match in five months. And First match back, boom, U.S. Open with, you know, global pandemic going on, having to stay in a bubble. It's not the Grand Slam New York U.S. Open feel that most players are used to at that caliber. So I'm not really surprised, but to be honest, I wouldn't be like very shocked if I see five to seven more by the time U.S. Open rolls around. Agreed. And as of right now, players are rolling into New York for the Western Southern Open. We've seen a bunch of uh, players posting about it on Instagram, a little bit of an inside look at the bubble. And there was a meeting recently, a USTA press conference. They talked about these things called tiers. So it's new to us. I mean, obviously, you and I haven't been in a regular tournament yet. Tier one is the players. It involves a thousand people, which is kind of nuts to me, but it includes the tournament staff, players, guests, and then the medical teams. Tier two, broadcasters. They have limited interaction with players. Tier three is the staff of the actual USTA National Tennis Center, which is like security, parking, vendors. Um, Irina, you are going to be a commentator. You fall into tier two right now, not tier one where you're maybe hoping to get into. What's your status? Who are you working for? What are you going to be doing? So, yeah, super exciting. I'm actually going to be commentating for the USTA World Feed. Um, kind of nervous, kind of like super pumped about it. Um, I love commentating. I really love the sport. And uh, the fact that I know pretty much every single girl on the tour and some of the guys on the ATP tour, I mean, I feel like I have an in per se. Uh, but yeah, as of now, tier two, uh, it is, let's see, we've, we've still got a little bit of time before first first ball is hit but I'm currently 13 out. So who knows? A lot of stuff would have to happen for me to become a tier one person. So uh, yeah, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers uh, to see what happens, but I will be going to New York and I'm super excited. I like, I, I saw a few videos of the top golf that is, ha that they were able to set up, you know, that like, um, 
oh goodness, like it's in the actual hotel and I th- the simulator. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's it's very smart of the USCA to do that for players because I wouldn't be surprised if some of them start feeling like the walls are coming in a little bit, and uh, you know start getting a little stir crazy when you know you can't leave the room. So. Yeah, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens now. So there's two main hotels for the U.S. Open. Uh, one of them is the Marriott. That's the one you mentioned with the golf. So it's 100% U.S. Open only. So there's a gym, recovery room, arcade, game room, golf simulator, something called a sports simulator, outdoor lounge, food trucks. It sounds kind of awesome, but you're still not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to go to the city. It's kind of still very weird. Reminds me a little bit maybe of the World Team Tennis Greenbrier bubble. It's a good attempt. Not exactly the same, but it's all, you know, all signs point to the tournament happening, which is the whole point here. The strangest thing for you, you're 13 out. You're already going to New York. You're setting up as if you could play, might not play. You need to know four days before, obviously, for the quarantine situation. Very go with the flow moment for you in your career. I don't even know how you're doing this. But the weirdest thing is like, hypothetically, you could be on site and you could be six out. And Monday rolls around August 31st, but they're not going to put you in if someone pulls out for whatever reason they need to pull out. Lucky losers are going to be taken from the doubles field. What's your take on that? Because like you literally would be there ready to go, kind of. I, I would be curious to see what would happen if they actually have singles alternates that were in the, you know, uh, alternate list and they are tested. They're all good in regarding like, Hey, I'm safe. I'm, I'm, I'm negative. We're good. I wonder if they would still take a player that's in the doubles draw. I mean, I can understand for liability and insurance purposes. They want to make sure that someone's like legitimately, you know, I don't know, to be honest, like that's one that I'm not really thrilled about because I know that there's some players that are going to end up being one or two out and imagine being one or two out playing in the U S open. I mean, Never going to get a chance, I don't think, to be ranked 100 and, you know, 30, 40 something and be able to get into the main draw of the U.S. Open directly, not with a wild card or anything like that. Exactly. So having that opportunity and then just being like, actually, no, we're going to give it to a doubles player that hasn't been playing singles. Kind of rubs me the wrong way, I will admit. But you know what? The USCA knows what they're doing and the fact that they're able to come up with uh, you know, a tournament grand slam during a global pandemic props to them. Exactly. But it is definitely a little bit weird. You're ranked 155 with your protected ranking. I mean, you're going to be on site. I I'm excited to see how this all plays out. It's all the unknown. This new normal is so confusing and bizarre and we're all just kind of trying to figure it out. And the whole thing is to work together for the best possible outcome. We'll see what happens, but we have Stevie Johnson as our guest for this episode He's playing the Western Southern Open and the U.S. Open in New York. The most exciting thing about this interview is to talk about his baby. He has a child on the way, a daughter with his wife, Kendall. And I think it's going to affect his career quite a bit. He sounds like he really just wants to be at home and spend quality time with his wife and future child next year. You guys are going to hear from Steve Johnson. At one point, he says his dream is to live happily ever after with his family in Manhattan Beach. And I was like, can I come? So let's jump into our interview with Stevie Johnson. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. All right, Stevie, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. We're here at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely not where I thought I would be playing World Team Tennis this year, but with everything that's happened, it's um, it's quite the place to have everybody in in one one facility, and you know we're making the most of it. Let's talk about quarantine a little bit. So you started off in Miami, Atlanta. How did you get out of the quarantine shutdown? What was your first match? We California. No, yeah. So we. Well, I played, yeah, I played a couple of the um, Grand Slam Tours 120 series for, um, you know, my agency that basically was the one who put it on. So I, I th- you know, kind of just did a few matches for them in Orange County to kind of kick that thing off and get it running. So I wouldn't say those were my strongest efforts um, so far this year in, in those matches. You know, I hadn't played at all before those matches. So I kind of went out there and was extremely rusty and kind of laughable at moments, um, you know, it I try and tell people it's like riding a bike you never forget, but, you know, there's there's levels of riding bikes out there. So um, kind of got that out of my system early, which is good. Then got to Miami, played a little exhibition there. Um, didn't play great either. You know, I'm not one to be a, a quick starter. Um, so and then I got to Atlanta, played well, and now I feel like, you know, with, with World Team Tennis on the horizon, I had something to really look forward to and, and be competitive. So without without something on the horizon for me, I, I have it hard, find it hard to really kind of put the pedal to the metal and, hit the practice courts really hard. You know, sometimes I just like to get away from the game and kind of regroup. How much does it affect you, the idea of playing without fans? Because I know, I mean, I know you've grinded in college, you were a junior, you played in the futures, but it's been a minute. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've played without fans a lot. You know, I think, um, you know, when you think of tennis, I mean, you definitely think of Roger and Rafa and these guys who, you know, play in packed houses. And, you know, a lot of the outside courts maybe don't have the, the spectator numbers as those guys do, which is, you know, right, rightfully so. So, you know, for us, I think it's different. Um, it's also a little different not having, you know, referees and ball people and, you know, just the court looks different because you've been so accustomed to having, you know, 10, 12 people kind of out on the court with you at a time and now it's it's pretty empty. So um, it just takes some getting used to, but if that's what it takes for us to go play tennis, you know, we're, we're, we're all big big boys and big girls. We can we can pick up our own balls and, you know, it's, um, it's not something to complain about. You know, it's just something that we got to do at the moment. Was there ever any time maybe in April or May where you were almost glad to have a break or you were enjoying the quarantine? Because for me, I definitely had a point where I was like, this isn't so bad, but I think the income is a problem, obviously. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I think I took, I looked at it at the end, you know, I think I took 75 days off after, you know, the Indian Wells Challenger final. So for me, you know, day 76 wasn't like I was itching to go play tennis by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Mark and I, went out and hit balls. It was like a Friday afternoon and it was just, you know, comedy hour. I mean, we were horrible, you know, it was just, I wish there was a video cause it was pretty bad. Um, but you know, we had some laughs and, you know, it was just trying to get back into the swing of things. I hit like two days a week for a couple of weeks, then I hit three days a week and then I hit four days a week just to kind of, cause this was on the horizon and, and you know, things to get ready for. So, um, you know, for me, I was, you know, it's interesting cause I've never had that long of a layoff from, from tennis before. Um, so I don't know, you know, whenever my career comes to an end, how much I'll be playing tennis after my career. I was pretty comfortable without it. So we'll see. You know, there's a lot of time left, uh, hopefully, in my career. So we'll hopefully we don't have to look uh, get get there too fast. 
It is interesting to see what people have been up to when they weren't able to play tennis. Did you get up to anything weird? No. You know, we, we stayed out in Palm Springs for like seven, eight weeks and then kind of then moseyed on back to L.A. Um, you know, I, I played a bit of golf, you know, just but stayed home, you know, with with everything that was kind of happening, you know, with just in general, you know, my wife being pregnant and everything. We didn't want to do anything. You know, I didn't crazy or rash or, you know, do anything like that. So we just kind of stuck by ourselves and, you know, was with her family for a lot of it and spent some time with, with, with my, with my mom. And so it's been fun to kind of just be at home, but, um, you know, maybe a little easier for somebody like me, who's, who's a, a bit of a homebody and, and that doesn't, you know, bother him too much. Uh, so you spent a lot of time with the in-laws. What is family like life like for you? How did you even meet your wife and have you guys always lived in, in the LA area? Yeah. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, very lucky, you know, you hear a lot of maybe tough stories with, you know, maybe, you know, husbands and wives not liking their in-laws and, uh, super fortunate that, you know, my, my wife's family is awesome. You know, they're, they're great people. I spent, you know, a lot of time around them and, you know, it, it's, you know, they just feel like, you know, family, you know, it's no, you know, and there's not, there's nothing there, you know, it's all fun and games, you know, it's, it's, it's all fun for me and which makes, you know, definitely makes life easy. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, I met my wife back at USC. She was a, a stud volleyball player at, uh, at SC was an all American, uh, multiple times and so we kind of met at the end of college and so back in you know early you know February March of 2012 and we've been together ever since so it's um it's been a that's probably my my biggest uh, accomplishment at USC that's for sure that is not, I mean okay it, it can be if that's how you want it to be but you also happen to have won four team NCAA titles and two individual ones and ended on like I think it was a 72 match winning streak so nice try I mean it's those are all, you know, for, for other people to talk about. So for me, I just, you know, enjoy what, what I, what I've gained from that, from, from USC and in a friends and in a family standpoint. So for me, that's, um, you know, it's, it's something that I'll always have with my teammates and everything, but it's, you know, something I never want to ever, you know, bring up or talk about, to be honest. That's fair. And LA, so is this where you grew up as well? Is this where you've been your whole life? Yeah. So I grew up in Orange County. So just South of Los Angeles, didn't want to leave, you know, Southern California ever in my life. So got very lucky in uh, going to USC and playing for Peter Smith was, uh, was always the goal since I can remember kind of, you know, growing up and then uh, got lucky with my wife's from Manhattan beach. So we're, we're not, uh, we're not leaving, you know, Manhattan beach to the South Bay anytime soon. You know, we're, I think we'll be there for the rest of our lives. I hope, you know, unless something crazy happens. So um, that's kind of, you know, I'll, I'll never leave Southern California. I don't think in my life. So USC was always the goal. You were never considering jumping into the pro tour at 18? Oh, no. You know, no shot. You know, I was, I mean, I was a good 18-year-old, but I wasn't that good. You know, I mean, I wasn't, you know, if you're 18 and you're cracking the top 100 or getting close, like, you know, there's, that's a big difference from where I was, you know. So I needed to learn a lot, learn, uh, you know, how to be a pro, how to be an adult, you know, how to live life on your own. You know, there's a lot of things that you know, I had to learn in college and, you know, some I learned the hard way and some came a little, a little bit easier, but all of those experiences, I think, helped me get to where I am today. Was there anything surprising about going to college at USC where you weren't really expecting it? Because, I mean, obviously you did well on the court, but anything off the court that threw you, you know, dorms or the food or training, no, anything? Just like, I think everything, you know, because I lived at home my whole life. So, you know, it's a little different when you have mom and dad kind of helping you with, you know, whatever it may be, you know, laundry, travel, dinner, you know, all the little things that you just take for granted. I think, you know, when you're, when you're an adult, you kind of have to make all these decisions on your own. And sometimes, you know, what you think is the right decision at the time, you know, you look back and think it was, you know, may, maybe you could have done something a little different, a little bit better. And 
So you just have to learn those lessons, you know, sometimes the hard way and hopefully only once. But, um, you know, what I learned in college was just to, you know, I, I matured a lot. I grew up, you know, gave me a chance to, to be an adult and be okay on my own. Have you thought about whether you want your daughter or even more future children to play tennis? Yeah, I, I don't think so, to be honest. I know that may not be a popular opinion amongst, uh, you know, tennis players, but I don't know. You know, I love tennis. I think what it gives kids is is incredible, like, you know, from a standpoint of character and everything, because you're out there by yourself. You need to be honest. You need to be trustworthy. You need to be disciplined. You know, I think it, it creates a lot of that. But I also, you know, know what it was like for me being a kid, sometimes how frustrating and how different it was not having a team or, you know, not having anybody out there with you and, and how lonely that can be at, at certain times. So, um, you know, if they, you know, want to play tennis, you know, you'll never, you know, steer them in the other direction, you know, cause you're going to, you know, I'll let them do whatever they want, but hopefully, you know, golf or something else, you know, that, uh, maybe I can squeeze out there with them and, you know, kind of, you know, use it as a, uh, you know, as a, as a backdoor way to kind of continue my golf habits. Sam Query's baby, we have Mike Bryan's baby, Jake. Have you interacted? Have you seen them? What's the thought of having a baby on tour? Yeah, you know, it's definitely different. You know, I've seen a lot of it just being, you know, an, an observant bystander f through the years of, you know, the American guys and how they've traveled and, and how it's worked. And John, of course, having two babies now. Um, but it's been fun. You know, Sam is one of my closest friends. And, you know, we flew here with, with Abby and Ford. And, you know, I, you know, I was with then the other day while Sam was playing, you know, it's kind of holding forward. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I just, you know, it's, you know, I think five years ago I would have like freaked out having a baby in my hands. But, you know, just with, you know, my sister having a baby, my wife's sister having a baby, like, you know, you get more comfortable with it. And now, you know, I'm, you know, really looking forward to starting a family of my own. And, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the first and, you know, most important thing for me, you know, going forward this year. Is it still like a little bit terrifying though, the changes that are coming? Oh yeah. Cause I mean, at this point, you know, you know, I can screw up my life, you know, it's, it's okay, but, you know, you don't want to screw up somebody else's life that you're responsible for. So there's a lot of pressure, I feel like, but hopefully, you know, I know my wife will steer me in the right direction. And you're probably taking some notes here watching Little Ford and Jake running, like, you know, being carried around. They're not running around yet, but yeah. it's, it's like a little zoo of babies out here. Yeah, there's, it, but it's just great, though, you know, because everybody's close and, you know, I, I don't know what maybe, you know, what happens when when you become a mom or a dad, you know, I think everybody kind of, you know, bands together and they're all in this together kind of thing so it's um it's been fun to see you know but just to see how you know sam's and john's and you know people that i'm extremely close with how their lives have changed since you know for the last 10 years since you know we've all been on tour so it's it's really cool and neat and um you know to see this new chapter in all of our lives with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, today we have ATP player Steve Johnson talking about all the advice he's gotten from other ATP dads. Keep listening. You mentioned that you're friends with all these American guys. Does that mean that your wedding was one big tennis crazy party and everyone got to unite? Because I know we have a, another American getting married this year in December, still Jack Sock. So tennis weddings seem to be like a happy reunion. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't say too many tennis people were invited to my wedding. I, I mean, tennis people from the tour. Um, 
don't want to like make anybody angry, but you know, it's, you know, I had like my, you know, my closest friends, you know, Sam, John, Dennis Kudlow were all groomsmen. Um, you know, I had Bradley Klon and, and a lot of other coaches or, or people that have helped get me there. Um, you know, a lot of my teammates from USC were there, but you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's just interesting, you know, I've, how people kind of gravitate towards one way or the other. And it's also tough with our schedules, getting tennis people to, uh, anything in the middle of the year when, you know, there's tournaments going on. So, um, but it was, uh, it was fun, you know, just to kind of get everybody out of, you know, one environment and into a different one, just to have fun and kind of kick back and no pressure and just have fun. And now it's interesting because like everything has changed so much and you had this big break from tennis to be normal and to, you could have, you know, you could have gone to weddings that weddings were allowed, but they're not obviously. It, it, are you looking forward to things getting back to normal? I think we're not really anywhere near normal, but do you, are you excited for that? Even though you had this, you almost enjoyed your break. Yeah. You know, I'm, it's interesting because there's certain aspects that you really want to get back to normal. And then there's certain aspects that you don't want to get back to normal. Um, you know, I, I didn't mind not traveling for, for the last three months kind of thing, but I also, you know, enjoyed being at home and like taking the bikes out and, you know, riding and having dinner down, you know, wherever, you know, where we live and, and what you, you know, you also couldn't do at the time. So it was interesting to, you know, yes, some aspects were good and some you're like, all right, like I'm, I'm not like a social butterfly where I want to go out and, you know, go to bars and stuff, but, you know, going out to dinner or going out to wherever is, you know, definitely something I still want to do, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where you're, got to take the good with the bad on some of them do you feel comfortable I mean I feel like you've been in top 100 and established the top for so long do you feel comfortable and like settled in as someone who's at the top of the game or is that feeling of like still trying to strive and make it and keep getting higher never go away um you never want to uh, yeah you, I don't think you ever want to be comfortable um you always want to continue to get better and I think that's maybe the the most important quality you can have as any athlete, with regardless of sport and regardless of what you're ranked or what your your place is in the world, you always want to continue to get better and better. You know, you look at Roger and Rafa, and you know, these guys have been at the top for so long, and they continue to get better and better at their game and their craft, and that's what makes them better. You know, they don't get complacent. They don't, you know, think, oh, we made it, we're good. You know, they want to make it and stay there. So that's kind of how I feel. Like, I feel comfortable being in the top 100. I, you know, I feel comfortable going to these big events and, all these events were, you know, 10, seven, eight, 10 years ago, I was so new, I was nervous. And now I feel very comfortable, but I still want to, you know, go out there every day and prove myself until, you know, whenever that last day may come. Was there ever a time, because from someone looking out from the outside in on your life and your career, it looks like things went very smoothly. You know, you went junior career, USC, college, top 100, top 30, everything. Was there ever a time where you didn't think that maybe tennis was for you? Or has it always been very clear? No, it's, you know... There's always, there's always moments where you question probably everything in your life. And I've had a few of those on the tour, you know, 20, I don't know, 13, 2015, 26, you know, around there, it's like, I had a few moments where it was like, all right, time to hang them up. And, you know, I need to get away from tennis for six months and, you know, reevaluate everything. And it's like, you know, let's maybe take it easy. You know, you've had a bad two or three months. It's not the end of the world, but sometimes you're so immersed in your own, you know, wins and losses and, that it, it, it clouds your judgment on, you know, the overall big picture. And so it's, it's been tough. I've had some, uh, some hard lessons to learn. I've had some, some tough phone calls to make. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the people that love you the most kind of uh, make, make sure they're telling you the truth rather than what you want to hear. And, you know, it kind of kicks, uh, kicks you in the butt in the right direction, I think. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've had a few of those tough phone calls. I think, you know, maybe uh, we'll laugh about it. We laugh about it now with, you know, my mom or coaches and stuff, and it's just kind of funny where, you know, 
you can't believe somebody said that to you, but, you know, it was what they needed to say at the time, and, you know, it is what it is. Probably not, not, probably not uh, PG for this podcast. I love the honesty, though, because uh, you always think that some players, especially someone like you who's done so well, like, from, from my opinion, I mean, we're, the, we're the same year, so I've yep. always known your name from college tennis and even when we were younger. And I've always thought, like, things seem to be going so well for him at all times, and I'm like, I've always wondered if there's even mo- dark moments or hard moments for players that are in the top 100, that are there's consistent. There's a lot of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not, you know... Yeah, even Roger doesn't have, you know, a trajectory of straight, you know, you know, greatness. You know, he was, you know, he was a young guy once who was kind of, flou- not floundering. That's, God, that's a bad word to use for Roger. But, you know, early in his career, you know, early, early when he was 17, 18, 19, you know, not quite maybe hitting his potential at, at that time. And obviously he's figured it out since then. But, you know, it's, I, don't, I think every tennis player has moments of doubt and questioning of kind of a lot of things, but they got to, you know, believe in themselves and have that self-drive and self-worth to to go out there and just put on the line every day. When you look back, I know you're nowhere near done. But when you look back, is there a certain highlight that stands out to you from your career? Um, for me, I think there's a couple, you know, I mean, in college, you know, winning the team NCAA championships are always, you know, I'll always look back with, you know, great, great memories. Um, and then on the tour, you know, winning my first title was, every title had something different, you know, for me. Uh, all, you know, the four that I've had in singles. And, um, you know, I can, you know, kind of tell you with each of them, you know, you know, what was kind of there at the time and happening. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I can look back on all four of those extremely fondly. Where do you keep your rings? You get rings for each one you win, right? All team or individual or just team? Yeah, no, for both. So I think they're, I think they're downstairs at the house in like a ring case. Uh, I, you know, I've probably all I've probably worn them like once. You know, the day we get them, you know, at USC you get them on the football field, and you know you think you're you know king of the world, and you know whatever. But um, you know, but after that, you know, I'm glad nobody lost them in those those nights of, you know, whatever whatever ensued after you know at the bars and, um, but it's um, yeah they're all downstairs. You know, not something that I wear you know ever. They're just kind of a memento and with some of the other trophies that I've gained and I've lost a lot of trophies along the way. So there's just kind of a hodgepodge group of case that, you know, is not going to be, you know, moved from, you know, when, when we move into our, our new house. So we're, uh, my wife's kind of put the, the end on that, you know, this trophy case that I have. The collection. Yeah. There's, there's some in there that I want to keep and there's some that, you know, you know, it's, it is what it is. I don't know how they made it back, but some did, some didn't, some are broken, some are, I don't know. Are you and your wife moving into a house, or are you guys ready to live together in a yeah, house? Yeah, no, we live together in Redondo, but, you know, we're, we're building a house in Manhattan Beach, so we're really lucky. Um, I've got no say in any of it, which is great, so, you know, I get updates from her, and she's, so I just told her to let me know when it's done, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll live happily ever after. That's the plan. You are living the dream. Do you ever? Trying, trying. Do you, as my last question, when uh, you look ahead, let, uh, let's, hypothetically, you're still playing in three or four years, which you should be. But do you want to keep playing so that your daughter maybe understands, like, who you are and can watch you play and see a match and be like, that's my dad? Have you thought about that at all? It's a bit early. Yeah, no, no. I, I, mean, I definitely have. But um, I don't know what age that is. You know, I, I don't know what age you start remembering things or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, for me, though, I think it's going to be hard um, to be away from, you know, the family like we are now 25, 30 weeks of the year. and depending on how the travel is and how the world is in three to five years, kind of how everything is going, where I'm ranked. You know, there's a lot of variables in there, but um, I, I know that I'm not going to be somebody that wants to be gone from home when, you know, they start having, you know, the little things as kids where, you you know, 
you don't want to miss, you know, whatever. So, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, uh, you know, like just gone when, when important things are happening. So for me, I think hopefully, uh, hopefully I can play for, you know, a few more years, but you know, there's, you know, going to be a side of me that, you know, probably will be, you know, more at home than he is on the road. But what will you do if you're not a pro tennis player? I don't know. There's, there's a lot more to life than being a pro tennis player. I know that. Um, but you know, to figure out what's next, you know, hopefully I still have some time, but we're still working on, uh, we're still working on how to be a pro tennis player. So at the moment we're trying to do our best to, to really just put our best foot forward every day. All right, Stevie, this has been awesome. I'm hoping for a really exciting and fun 2021 for you with a new baby as well as hopefully a full calendar, maybe a new calendar for you anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And hopefully yeah, 2021 will be a little bit more smooth than 2020. This has been a bit of a rocky, uh, rocky get go for the tennis world and uh, most of the world in general. It has. Thank you, Stevie. Of course. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn and Andy Chu.